Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. All right, so we are in our uh, last week of Stuck. And I want to welcome all my friends online. If you're streaming or with us and our friends in the tent, I told you last week you would get donuts. And so right now, they are going to hand you some donuts. Not in here. Yeah. You're like, I told you we should have gone out there. Yeah. You win. So enjoy your donuts. Um, they're tasty. And uh, I'm glad that you're here and enjoying the weather outside. Um, so we are in our last week of Stuck. But before we get into that, I just wanted, like uh, Pastor Jesse said, I wanted to piggyback off of this generous living in this church. We talked to, we celebrated a big story last week. And this week, um, we had a group of people that came up from Southern California, met with us um, on this Wednesday. And uh, I was meeting with them and they just wanted to understand our story. Like, hey, can you describe Northgate? Who are you? What's this community about? We want to understand what's going on here and, and different pieces and parts of that. And so we would have been having that conversation. I needed something real quickly from the office. And so I walked over, I ran into the office and I walked in and my staff was a mess, like a crying mess. And I walked in and went, what's going on in here? And, uh, and then come to realize that uh, a Dollar Club recipient had just been in there and they had been going through that process with them. And uh, I walked back over um, into this space to have this conversation. I was like, I just had to pause. I was like, this is what just happened. And I need you to know that this is a generous community. This is what this is about. And um, we need to be in a mess with people in the midst of their crisis and transition um, because of Jesus. And so I'm thankful that we get to be a mess with people in just the mess that is their, um, it's their life and their situations. And so I wouldn't take that away from the world. And uh, thank you for allowing me to again partner with you. I'm on the same team um, as you. Um, so uh, the other thing that I'm really excited about is actually coming up next week I want to highlight. Next week, Pastor Ken's going to be back with us um, with a brand new series called um, Love Rules. And uh, you don't know if it's like love, love rules or like love rules. We don't know. We're going we're gonna to walk through it together. It's in 1 Corinthians. But who I want to talk to specifically right now is my guys that are in the room, men in the room, because um, I want to invite you back. Women, it's not that you're not important. I know that you're going to come because it's called love rules. And you're like, oh, look it, we're talking about love. This is great. We've got to be there. And the guys are like, Ugh. I don't know if I can do this. So guys... This may be, might be the most important conversation you could be a part of in 2016. So I want you to come back because God's word has some incredible things to say about that. So guys, it is that important as the leader of your house, as the leader of relationships, as the leader in your workplace to understand what the Bible says about love rules or like love rules, right? So men, come, ladies, I'll see you. <laughs> I'll see you there. Um, I'm really excited about it, and I hope I just uh, put a lot of pressure on Pastor Ken. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So anyways, back to Stuck. So we are finishing up this three-week conversation, uh, this series that we started again. I told you the other week um, how we came up with this series is it came from an abundant, 
uh, a lot of conversations that I was having with people in their seasons and in their life about um, these topics. Uh, conversations with people in their, in their living rooms and on the phone and office, all those spaces and places um, about people that are just stuck in their guilt and their shame. We talked about our guilt and shame. We showed an image uh, that's resonated well with a lot of you. And we said, what do you see? And most everyone sees this little black dot right here. And we can focus on that rather than seeing all of the, the beauty, the pureness, the white, the grand. And we can focus on the little because we get stuck in our guilt and our shame. And God, who says, wait a minute, time out. I gave myself for you and I don't see that. And so please don't see that. And we said that what we need to do is use this, God will use this as a powerful tool uh, in your life and in the lives of others, rather than Satan using it as a weapon to destroy, like a weapon does. It cuts, it destroys, it kills um, in your life. And so we said, cover that up and choose grace, not guilt. And that was uh, a concept. We talked about Jesus and grace and not guilt. Last week, we got to have a fantastic conversation about religion and laws, and rules, and regulations, and what so many of us put into the box of religion. And I was so thankful to be able to have that conversation openly um, with all of my friends here. And uh, we talked about this, and one of the things that we um, emphasized was that Jesus's conscience was influenced more by compassion than it was consistency. And then that's the way that we needed to live, is that um, we need to live in a compassionate frame of mind rather than rules, regulations. This is how I respond to this. This is systematic. This is what we do in this situation. And we said compassion because Jesus says, hey, in, within my, the weakness, I will show greatest strength, right? And this week, we are going to finish this conversation with stuck in self. And... Uh, um, this thing in ourselves, in you and me and all of us, has the potential to determine, not influence, but determine the future God has for you. If you're uh, some of my young friends in here, especially, I want you to hear this. This thing in you that we all have has the potential to determine, not influence, but determine the quality of your life. It is the thing that I see that shipwrecks and sidelines, leaders, you're all leaders, we're leaders, and households, and spaces, and the places we're involved in in our life, shipwrecks, and sidelines, people more than anything else, you will rule it, or it will rule you. And friends, what I want to talk to you about today is your appetite, your appetite. We all have an appetite, and I'm not just talking about food. There's a lot of things. There's food. There's sex. There's a lot of them. There's food. Um, <laughs> actually, I have a whole list of them. We're going to go through this list right here. We have been given an appetite by God of a whole lot of things. We have an appetite for progress. We love progress. We love to see things continue and to be finished and progress and see it change. That's why so many of you walk outside even just now right now and watch this new building happen. You're like, oh, they got paint on there. Wow, this is coming along, right? We love it. We have an appetite to see these things happen. We love responsibility. We love the, the appetite for responsibility, to be given responsibility, to be over things, to be in charge of things, to be responsible for them. We have a big appetite for respect. 
Many of us have a huge appetite for sex. Men especially, I'll go back to you. Men, you have a huge, that's, you have a growling appetite to be respected. Women, I would say yours is more love, right? That's a common conversation I have with people is women, they need to feel loved. Men need to feel respected because it's what fills their appetite. We have a big appetite for winning, right? That's why you'll run a million miles that you should never put your body through, <laughs> To win something because you have an appetite, a drive, a desire to just do it, whatever that means. <laughs> um, for love, we have an appetite to be love and to give love and to be a part of love. Acceptance. We have an appetite for acceptance. We all want to be accepted, um, to be welcomed, to be understood. Fame. I know most of you won't say it out loud, but if you could just push the fame button, everyone in here would be like, yep, I'll be famous. You would totally do it. We all have an appetite. We would love to be like, look at me now. I'm famous. Recognition. This is why my four-year-old, when I'm driving, goes, dad, 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 dad. What? <laughs> I'm driving. I just saw a plane. Fantastic. You are the champion at spotting planes. I know. Dad, 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 dad. I just saw another plane. Ooh, we have an appetite for recognition, right? We want to be recognized. Or like, look at me. I did the monkey bars for the 17,000th time. Yep, you sure did. <laughs> recognition. We have an appetite for that, especially young people, right? All of us do. To be envied. All of us want to be like, how did you get her, right? We, we all want to be envied. Or look at what you're driving. Or look at your house. We, we want to be envied. Or things and stuff. Many of us have an appetite, and many of us get in trouble because there's this app called Amazon, and at night our tummies get a growling, <laughs> and we just go to town, we're just feeding the appetite, and our bank doesn't like it at all. So we have an appetite. You always will. Until the day you die, you will have an appetite. God has given us an appetite for things, and that's three things that we need to understand today about appetites. And the first is this, is that God created them. And sin distorted them. God created your appetites. He did it from the very beginning. He did it with Adam and Eve. It starts in the very beginning in the book called Genesis. Uh, he did it with Adam and Eve. He, he gave him things. He says, I'm going to give you a responsibility. I'm going to create progress as it continue to grow and build. God loves progress. I'm going to give you responsibility of those things. And the animals and other things are going to respect. And, and, and then you're going to do these things and enjoy these things. I want you to enjoy what I've given to you. And then he says, you know, I get an appetite for companionship. And so I'm going to give you Eve and this love and this recognize who you are. And um, God, God says, hey, I want to accept you. I've, I've given you an appetite for these things. So God created appetites. He did. You're always going to have them. They're fantastic. But what's happened is sin has distorted them. And we can begin to gorge on these things. And we can get stuck in ourselves and our appetite as sin's kind of taken these things and distorted them um, to where they begin to hurt and they begin to tear down. The other thing you need to know is appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. They're never fully and finally satisfied. And again, if you're young in here today, if you only hear this last thing, hear this. Your appetites will never be fully and finally satisfied. This is why like, you can gorge yourself and eat so much food to where you're like stuffed and you're like, oh, and five minutes later, someone's like, hey, you want some ice cream? And you're like, yeah, I do, right? <laughs> then you justify it because you're like, oh, it melts, it fits in the cracks, it's like there's space in there. <laughs> You come up with all sorts of different things. You're never fully 
and finally satisfied. You're never fully and finally satisfied. You're like, if I could just get that thing, this is what we have to have. I just have to have this. And then you'll, it, my life will be complete. And then two weeks later, you're like, yeah, I need something else. You're never, it's never fully and finally satisfied. And the third thing is appetites always whisper now. They always whisper now and never later. Your appetites never like, oh yeah, in like three to five years, we could do that. That would be great. No, it's always like now. I need this now, never later. It's, uh, it's why it took me seven years, my wife and I seven years, which could have taken two years um, to get our student loans paid off because we're like, oh, we're going to be debt free. And instead you start trading the ultimate for the immediate because you get this whisper of an appetite of like, no, you need this now. You can't wait until later right? And so if you don't rule it, if you get stuck on yourself and your appetite, it will rule you. And friends, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss the plan that God might have for you. Your response to your appetite will determine, not influence, but determine who you become and how God can use you. It will determine who you become and how God will use you. Your ability to harness your appetite. You've seen leaders of families, organizations, people groups fall apart, break apart because someone was unable to harness their appetite. But you've seen successful people, successful people be used by God in successful places because they've been able to rule and control their appetite. So we're going to talk about a story from the Bible. It's in Genesis 25. This, I spoke of Genesis just a minute ago. Um, it's in the New Testament. It's the very first book of the Bible. If you want to flip there on your own, you can open up your smart uh, phone. You can grab a Bible or you can just read it with me up on the screen. And it's about a story of a guy named Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were brothers. They were twins. And Esau was the older brother by like barely, barely older brother. And uh, they were opposites of one another. Esau loved the outdoors. He liked wrestling bears and like digging dirt holes and hunting and anything outside. He was outside as long as it wasn't inside. And Jacob, the younger brother, says he was a man of the tents. He loved decorating. He liked cooking. Anything inside as long as it wasn't outside, as long as it's inside, I'm in. That's who they were. And Esau was the older brother, and there's this thing that happens even now with older siblings, the firstborn, because, well, you were lucky, I guess, or you won, you are first. And it's called a birthright, right? You were given a birthright. And in a birthright, one of the things you got is you got a double proportion of inheritance. You got wealth. So when the inheritance was passed on to you, you got a double proportion more than uh, your siblings. The other thing is you were, is you were the judge of the family. You're given power. So um, when you are the oldest, if family was arguing about something, there was a question about something, they would hear both sides and then they would make the final decision. This is how, what we're going to do. This is how we're going to act in the situation. And so they were the judge of the family. And the, the third thing that happened was this beautiful, mystical, spiritual, lovely thing that we do here each week. Our children do it. And you would be passed down a blessing. This blessing would be passed down and bestowed upon you as the oldest in this birthright. And so Esau was the oldest. This was coming to him. 
And so I want to pick up the story in Genesis 25, 29. It says, once when Jacob, Jacob's the younger brother, was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He came in famished, super hungry. His appetite was a raging. And then he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. Now I want to explain to you something that's happened right here because these are brothers. If you've grown up with a brother, this makes more sense or another sibling, this will make sense to you. Older brothers never or very, very rarely ever need something from a younger sibling. Just doesn't happen. They never need anything from them. In fact, they want to stay, keep their distance from them, right? And on the very rare occasion that that happens, it's like, a, oh, I need to relish this moment. <laughs> this never happens. Uh, my youngest daughter won so badly to be her, her, uh, her older sister, who's five years older than her, wants to wear her clothes, wants to wear her shoes, wants to go to bed when she does, wants to do the things she does. And uh, my oldest daughter wants nothing to do with her wanting anything to do with her, right? So you have this situation where older brother has now come to Jacob and said, quick, I am famished. Give me something that you have. And Jacob goes, oh, I need to negotiate. I need to negotiate. You've gone too far. Come back. I don't want everyone to see that yet. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, what you do if you are going to leverage the situation is you'd start with like the biggest thing, right? Like the biggest. You'd say, I see that you need something from me right now. And you'd say, I will give you this if I can have your room. And they would be like, no, you're not getting my room. Well, if I can drive your truck. No, you're not driving my truck. Well, if I could play your video game. No, you can't do that. Okay, can I just like have a hug or something? Like a chest bomb or something? I don't know. You work down your way down the list. And so what we have here is younger brother needing and wanting, uh, older brother needing and wanting stuff from younger uh, brother. And so he starts with the biggest. He says, first sell me your birthright. Starts at the top. First sell me your birthright. (laughs) Who would do that? Who would give up the power right? Of a birthright, the blessings of a birthright, future wealth, a double portion, power in blessings for a bowl of stew. The answer is you might, you might, you might have. I see people do it all of the time. I see people do it all of the time. Your parents might have. Some of you come from families like that, where someone had an appetite for their career, missed out on life, had an appetite for another person they're not even with anymore, and it broke your family up because they had an appetite for something that satisfied themselves. They got stuck in themselves. Who would give this up? You might, and I don't want you to. I don't want you to miss out on the future that God has for you because you're stuck in yourself. And so he continues. Uh, Esau says this. This is so good. Look, Jacob, I'm about to die, right? It's so, like, ridiculous. We've heard kids say that. They're like, oh, my gosh, you're so dramatic. So dramatic, right? And we do this all the time, right? I have got to have that. Have you seen that shoe? I mean, it's like, I don't have that one. It's peach. (laughs) 
I don't know a whole lot about shoes, but <laughs> the memory foam. I don't know. <laughs> I picked the wrong subject when I was talking about. <laughs> I've got to have this car. It gets 27 miles a gallon. It has room for eight people. There's only four people in my family. You never know. <laughs> there is like room in the trunk in this thing on top. You can strap stuff to it. I've got to have this now. Like this is answers everything. You've been there. You've done this, right? I've got to have it. This is the biggest thing in the world that's happening to me. And so I was like, well, what causes to do this? And scientists or psychologists actually study this to the brain, and it's called impact bias. Impact bias takes a simple appetite and magnifies it out of proportion. So that's what's happening right in this situation. It tricks your brain, impact bias tricks your brain into thinking, this will be the most enjoyable thing you've ever experienced. You've got to have this. And this is why we also get something two weeks later after you've made some sort of decision called buyer's remorse. What was I thinking? Well, impact bias magnified it out of proportion. And we also had something called focalism. It is a word. Giggle it. Focuses our minds on one thing and blurs out everything else. It's like when we're honed in on that person or honed in on that thing. We can't see anything else or the effects it's going to have on our life. Right? Focalism. We focus in on that. And can you see, friends, how dangerous this is? It continues on, and uh, Jacob's smart. He said in verse 33, but Jacob said to Esau, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. Now, if I could pause right here, and uh, I could go back to the future. It's, It's proven. There's been a movie about it. It's totally cool. I would go... I would go back to Esau and say, hey, Esau, let me talk to you. I'm from the future. I know these are cold glasses, and I look awesome. It's totally cool. Um, I want to have a conversation. Before, before, before you sell your birthright off for a, uh, um, go back, sorry. Before you sell off your birthright, um, before you do that and swear this oath to him, can I just tell you about your future real quick? See, um, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have 12 sons, which will become 12 tribes and nations. And they're, they're going to end up in Egypt. And they're going to become a great and mighty nation for 400 years. And God, God, they're going to be God's chosen people. And he's going to come and he's going to rescue them and take them to the promised land. And God, the God of the universe, is going to come to a guy named Moses. I know it's a weird name, but Moses. Hang with me here. I'm from the future, remember? Moses. Um, he, it, it, he isn't going to know his name. Moses is going to say, who are you? And, and so God's going to introduce himself to Moses. And God is going to introduce himself as, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He's going to, the God of the universe is going to use your name to introduce himself. And then 2,000 years later, there's going to be a book. I know you don't know what it is. It's a bunch of paper things. It's actually going to be a bestseller. I know from the future. It's going to be great. This guy named Matthew. Matthew is going to start the greatest book in the history of books. This letter. He's going to start it out. And he's going to be introducing the Savior of the world whom God sent. And he's going to say, Abraham begat Isaac begat Esau. 
So Esau, 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 listen. Don't, don't sell away your birthright for a bowl of stew. Because if you do, if you fill your appetite right now, you're just hungry because you can't control it. If you fulfill that appetite, God will introduce himself to Moses as I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then 2,000 later, years later, he will introduce the Savior to King and say, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And so, Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew, and he ate it, he drank it, and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Because no one can go back to the future. No one can go back there and tell him, and friends, no one can come and tell you about your future. No one can come back to you. And this tension of our self and our appetite never, ever will go away until the day that you die. Because your appetite only knows one word, it's more. It only knows one time, and it's now. So I want to ask you, What's your bowl of stew right now? What's your bowl of stew right now? What are you stuck in? What are you trading right now for your future? I, uh, as we finish this conversation and... Um, this, this short series and stuck every week I have finished it with Jesus guilt and shame but Jesus religion mm. Jesus stuck in yourself Jesus so how do we fix it who's my who, who's, who's coming back from the future to tell me like don't do that you don't want to ruin that Jesus Jesus I'm going to ask you to bow your heads I'm going to ask that you don't zone out on me just listen to me I, last night when we were having this conversation I got this word image that I want to share with you I want you just to picture right now just in the places in your stuck that you're on a like a beautiful oasis, an island, and sitting there on the edge of a chair, and sitting there right next to you is Jesus. He's relaxed, he's comfortable. And you're sitting there, and you're, you're tapping your toes, kind of like moving your leg, twitching your fingers, kind of digging around, and looking all over the place, just your mind's kind of static, because you're just, you're just stuck. You're like, you're just thinking frustrated or you're anxious or you're grieving hurting you're just you're just not like really there Jesus in this really casual way just kind of looks over at you and says hey hey and you, you look over for a second and he starts to say something but you can't really hear it and you turn away and you're like oh sorry Lord I just just stuff there's just like this stuff going on in my head So he just kind of looks at you, gives us a little smirk and says, hey, hey, I will, 
No, uh, what, yes, Lord, what? What did you say? I just wanted to, oh, sorry, God, I just, I'm just kind of like stuck in a bunch of stuff and just, it's like on my mind and like I can't focus. And, and I just calmly reaches his hand over and just touches you. Says, hey. You pause for that moment, you look back at him and you say, yes, Lord. He says, you're enough. I love you. And you don't have to be stuck. Wait, wait. What, God? You're enough. I love you. And you don't have to be stuck. You're enough. He loves you. And you don't have to be stuck. Because Jesus, if you're here today and you're stuck, maybe you're just stuck in your entire life and you just continue to spin out of control and then you kind of get it together and the next thing you know, it's spinning out of control. And you've never given yourself to Jesus and said, I need a savior to save me. I can't save myself. I don't need to be happy. I need to be alive because I feel so dead when I get stuck in these places. Friends, it's a free gift given to you by God because he so loves you because you're enough and you don't have to be stuck. So maybe you're in this room today, in this tent today, online today, and you need to, for the first time, give yourself, your heart, your mind, your soul to Jesus and accept that free gift that he has for you. And I want to encourage you that today is the day. This is the place. And I want you to say it in response, not just with your heart, but with your hand. So right now, if you want that, would you raise your hand and just allow me to acknowledge you and pray over you and the decision that you've made? Yeah, I see. Absolutely. Yeah. Your friends online or in the tent. So God, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us words in which to live by because you know us so well. Thank you that we can talk about the things of our lives and the way we get stuck. And we are enough. And you love us. And we don't have to be stuck. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.